While history is full of tales of the kings who took what they wanted, land, women, money, power, there are only a few women who achieved the same. This is the story of a Russian Tsarina who took no instruction and made no apologies. She took the crown and the Black Sea, had many lovers, and absolute power. If anyone tells you that history is the story of men, you can be sure they haven't heard of Catherine the Great. Catherine the Great of Russia. Her real name was actually Sophie of Anhalt-Zerbst. She was Empress of Russia from 1762 until 1796. She was the country's longest ruling female leader, and Russia didn't have a lot of those. She came to power following a coup d'etat, which she organized, resulting in her husband Peter III being overthrown and killed. Under her reign, Russia was revitalized, it grew larger and stronger, and was recognized as one of the great powers of Europe. In her accession to power and the rule of her empire, Catherine often relied on a couple of favorites. There were people like Grigory Orlov and Potemkin, and she was assisted by generals like uh, Suvorov and some others who she relied on very heavily in order to bring about her conquest and diplomacy. And she's most famous for conquering the Crimea, for Russia, which was quite a big deal, and opening up the trade between the north of Russia and the south. She had victories over the Ottoman Empire and the Russo-Turkish Wars. She reformed the administration of Russia's Gurbernias, which were the uh, cities and towns that were founded on her orders. And she was always an admirer of Peter the Great and of Frederick the Great of Prussia, and she considered them her big inspirations. She continued to modernize Russia, and made it a European country rather than a country that kind of didn't fit in with the rest of what was going on in that period in Europe. She was also an Enlightenment scholar, so she would read a lot. In fact, during her very unhappy marriage to Peter, she spent most of her time reading. But we'll get into the story of Catherine the Great. I'm joined by my co-host and the MD of Taylor Blinds and Shutters, Anthony Medderer. So what do you think of Catherine the Great? I was impressed with her. She was enlightened, as you say. She followed the philosophers of the day. Mm. But as she started realizing how she has to rule the country, she actually left Russia and the serfs, as they called them, in much worse position than prior to her reign. Well, it's worth remarking that, first of all, there weren't a lot of women in charge in her time. There weren't a lot of women in charge in history, which mm. is why there are less episodes on them than on the men. And she was, if anything, quite a masculine woman. She was strong. She was determined. She didn't take no for an answer. She treated her male lovers like men treat female lovers. She was all about conquest. She consolidated power around herself and wasn't even afraid to take out her own husband mm. because she was afraid that he would be a weak leader. And she saw him as a problem, an obstacle yeah. to her rule. But I think even a weak person would want to take Peter the Third out. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do, was, what do we know about him? So Peter the Third, um, he had the right to the throne. If we think back to Peter the Great's daughter Elizabeth, it was natural succession, and she was, I think they call it Sarin, yeah, Sarina, Sarina, and then obviously he was going to be the next in line. But she saw already that he was very timid. He was touched. He was it's weak. very strange. I mean, he was yeah. he was thin. He was a strange-looking little man. He looks like in Edvard Munch's The Scream. That famous painting. Oh, yes, exactly. He kind of looks like that, a bit drawn and, and strange. And then he played with his toy soldiers even when he went into his 20s. <laughs> and he used to hurt animals. He was just a really, just a, a, a very 
terrible human being as such. And Elizabeth supported a lot of Catherine because she was such a strong woman. Mm. So, you know, I'm not sure what Elizabeth would have thought if she lasted or she lived longer. But it's amazing that these two women kind of guided the direction of Russia at that time. But she she did marry this Peter. She had a very unhappy time being married to. Oh, him. And I think it was eighteen years, Gareth. That's yeah, a long time. During that time, she was observing quietly, trying to be dutiful. But she saw the role of Tsarina as being like decorative, mm. and she wasn't interested in being decorative. No, you know, she brought some of that German ambition to yeah. the throne. And they did have children together, although there are rumors that maybe those children were not the children of Peter. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that was made up about Catherine post-fact because her own son didn't like her very much. She kept him at a distance. She never really allowed him power during her reign. And he was always a little bit resentful of that and obviously the fact that his father had been taken out by his mother. So there's a lot that's made up. Mm. That we can't really discern whether it was ugly yeah. gossip or whether it was stuff that was potentially true. And in every bit of gossip, there's usually an mm. element of truth. Otherwise, it doesn't survive. I mean, the most famous thing to people who are casual observers of Catherine is that this woman had a voracious sexual appetite. Correct. And that she took many male lovers. Mm. Now, whether or not that's true. But they went as far as to say there was furniture that helped her. There was She died <laughs> making love to a horse. So that was really, <laughs> it was, whatever it was, she had a serious sexual appetite. But, what, but you know, the thing is, in the end, what most likely in terms of the truth was she had a lot of lovers, yeah. but she was monogamous during that stage. So she had one lover. She didn't have 15 or 10 or, sure. but she did tire of them quite quickly and then she'd move on to somebody else. But she treats them incredibly well. So when she tired of them, they ended up with palaces or, or oh, yeah. countries. She put one of her lovers into Poland. He was quite a weak man, so she could control it. But besides Potemkin, the rest of them really just came and went. Yeah, I mean, Potemkin eventually died, I think, at 52. But he led a number of very successful campaigns for her and yeah. conquered the Crimea. For He would do anything for her. Mm. Um, and he was just head over heels. But he was flamboyant. He was very charismatic. And Catherine was more stoic. She was organized and that, that German part of her. And that's what made them such a good team. And that's what created the court. You know, they, they always compared the Sun King's court, yeah. Versailles. And that was her ideal. And he helped her, you know, from cultural side, from the arts, all of those things that made her very successful and people talk about he did that. And then he used to dream. So he dreamed about joining the Black Sea mm-hmm. and getting to the Mediterranean, Russian-owned. Right. It wasn't Putin. You know, Putin's got these ideals now. But, I mean, <laughs> that came a long time before. It comes from Potemkin. It becomes from him, yeah. She had to walk a very tight line, though, because there were often plots by sometimes her jilted male lovers and sometimes other powerful people in court to displace her. And being a woman, you're never really secure because men didn't actually respect her on the level that they probably should have. She had ideas in the beginning of developing a Russian constitution and of doing things for the serfs, the peasants. Mm. I mean, the Russian peasants had the worst lives of anyone in yeah. Europe at that time. And there were, there were millions of them. The, the Russian population was the greatest population in Europe, Eurasia. 
And most of these people lived in abject poverty. Mm. And she wanted to create some sort of system which demolished feudalism, which was still the kind of the way that things were run in those days. And she just didn't make much progress. No. She was often cited as being humorless, but she did have the ability to be self-deprecating and she could laugh at herself. There was a very good series that was produced where Helen Mirren plays Catherine. And there are a couple of scenes in there that we can say are more or less exactly according to what happened, where she was mocked by essentially one of her lovers or a court jester, and she took it quite well. Mm. She was able to to see you know, the joy and the benefit of being able to laugh at herself, which was probably quite rare at the time. Yeah, and luckily for that, because if she was anything like Henry VIII, I mean, all her lovers would have lost their heads. Well, I, I sort mean, of feel like she was the female Henry VIII in some ways. It's, but, I agree. Because her lovers, she would get bored with them like Henry got mm. bored with wives and fell in love and desperate and passionate. And then when they were no longer useful to her, she just yeah, she loved. She, she was really searching for love and oh. partnership. And I think in Potemkin, she found it. And I think, you know, after two years where, they, where the sexual relationship stopped between them, he used to find lovers for her because he yes. knew what she was looking for. That's right. You know, that was incredible. So, Young studs to service yes. the, the empress. <laughs> While he went and conquered wherever he was, he, uh, that's what she did. But what impressed uh, me a lot was that she was single-minded in what she wanted to do So, and very, very positive person. Growing up in, I think, is what modern-day Poland, it was Prussia that's at right. the time, her father was – a duke, sort of a, a lowly Yeah, they were middle royal. aristocracy, nothing middle, very yeah. special. Her mother was hectic, and she hated her mother, and her mother didn't really care about her, but her mother just saw money. That was what she was interested in. <laughs> so she set herself nicely up, and she managed to get the opportunity to marry Peter, Peter III. Yeah. But the big thing here was her mother didn't bank on Catherine being the way she was, and when they went to Russia – Catherine embraced it, whereas Peter was a Russian pretender. He wanted to be a German. Yeah, he, he wa- actually he wanted to be German, and she was German and wanted to be Russian. Exactly. She, she, she learned the language. She learned to dance in a cultural Russian tradition. She learned to take on all of the attributes of Russian aristocracy rather than German. Correct, and, and Russian orth- Orthodox. Yeah, religion, uh, that's religion. right. Yeah. And her father, who was Protestant, if I, if I understand it correctly, he was devastated but he was actually quite a good man i don't know a huge amount about the parents but i do remember the mother was particularly yeah. hungry for money and elizabeth hated the mother yes so that's she, elizabeth being the great Sorina, yes yeah. and she liked catherine in the mm. beginning but they started tussling a little bit near the end and, and the interesting thing about paul catherine's son immediately when he was born elizabeth took him away she didn't see him as he was born hmm. so that's tough there's a good chance that the emotional connection never happened on Paul's side and on her side. But that was sort of, you know, again, people think things are were in, in the past as they are now. And what happened then, women of royal or noble blood didn't really have a an intimate emotional relationship with their kids. I mean, there are one or two rare exceptions, Louis XIV, mm. who's coming up in an episode. But mostly, it wasn't an emotional connection. This was just pure business. It was. This it is was the person heirs. who's going to succeed. Exactly. Yeah, and, and if you were a woman, you were really a, a, a broodmare. Yeah. You were there to just make children yeah. for your husband. And if, if he couldn't make children with you, it was your fault. Oh, exactly. You know. So she didn't have much of a relationship with Paul. And in fact, he just outright didn't like her. He had his own rival court happening at his palaces. Mm. And the other thing that's worth remarking on 
the opulence of the Russian court. She was a great patron of the arts, but mm. there everything was gilded. I mean, if you've ever been to the Winter Palace in St. Petersburg, that place is just garish in terms mm. of the amount of money that must have been spent. Remember, the average Russian was basically eating something rotten out of the rubbish mm. tip. And this woman was living in the most splendid, yeah. glorious luxury imaginable. She wanted to be part of Europe. Yes, That's absolutely. exactly, not part of Eurasia or… Yeah, well, Peter had started that. Peter the Great had started that move to, to kind of modernize because Russia was really a backwater. Mm. It was this rural, um, feudal, very hard, very cold. I yeah. mean, Russia still is largely. Well, I mean, Stalin and Lenin was a big part in that as well. You know, but that's also why they, the, the Russian czars and czarinas who tried to Europeanize Russia made the capital St. Petersburg mm. rather than Moscow yeah. and tried to draw it out of the harsh Siberian steppes and into a kind mm. of cultivated, uh, wintry but warm, European, yes. civilized and, and sophisticated court. Yeah, and that's also why Crimea became so important, mm. because that was on the. It was like a seaside resort. Yeah. Um, now right. it is. I mean, Putin's got his way. That's an incredible city down there. Yeah, and she had dreams and ambitions. She was very interested in science and music, in technology. I mean, for what it was worth in those days, technology. She also had a big bathhouse constructed. She liked the idea of a like a sauna, a sort of a mm. a bath, which she had made. And uh, it was one of the places she would entertain her lovers. But there is a lot of unfortunate propaganda that's come up, mostly because Paul, her son, had her buried and changed history. He went and rewrote things, mm. carved out parts of the memory of her, burnt lots of her letters and papers after she died, so as to hide some of the glory of yeah. what she had because he just disliked her. Yeah. It's a really bad mother-son relationship. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. It definitely was. But in the end, they couldn't. You know, she's revered. If we look back at Peter III, somebody's had to do something for Russia. Yeah. Because, I mean, that lineage was in terrible danger. And I think probably in the end, the nobility would have overthrown anyway. Because he was a very weak leader. And the challenge with that was they were fighting a war against Prussia. And the minute his mom passed away and he was the emperor or the Tsar, he stopped the war because he wanted to be Prussian. He wanted to be close to Frederick. And the nobles were angry. So he had a lot of angry people. So it was actually very, very easy for Catherine to say, mm, yeah, okay, and remove him. But there's a story that she didn't tell them to strangle him. And they went ahead and strangled him eight days after he abdicated. But I don't think it really makes a difference. No. And in the end, she had a stroke and she was... You know, in, in so it severe. wasn't the horse. No, it wasn't the horse. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, that would have been a hell of a story. Um, but she did have a stroke and she died, you know, in her 70s. I think she was, what, 70 something years old in the year 1796. And a, a great reign by all accounts managed to make Russia a much more powerful player on the world stage. Definitely. And even though the dynasties that came after her squandered a lot of that they did build up tremendous wealth mm. and incredible land i mean there are very few empires in, in world history that can compare with the range of russia at that stage stretching all the way from mongolia and china that's incredible massive in, in the far east yeah. to poland and germany and the far west and as far north as the arctic and as far south as india yeah quite extraordinary 
And she tried very hard in the beginning. You know, Europe was very much in that enlightenment stage. There were a lot of people talking about it. And I think that, you know, ruling is a hell of a lot harder when you've got beliefs and you've got ideals. And implementation sometimes is, is almost impossible. And I think in the end that's basically what happened. But Voltaire and her were pen pals, <laughs> you know, they, which is incredible. I mean, his mind was phenomenal. And like you said earlier, prolific reader, bibliophile. And so you very, can see. very horny. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe to see what that book collection is about. <laughs> All right. That's Catherine the Great of Russia. Another episode of Blind History. Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next, on Blind History, The Persian Kings. But interesting thing, she also took risks because it was a new thing to be inoculated. Smallpox was scary. Yes. They were talking about inoculation and how they're going to do it, and she was one of the first. And she said, look, let me try. Yeah, to volunteer. She was the empress of Russia, and she volunteered. And she survived, and then she got all the nobles to do it, and from there it kicked on. So she she was also a risk taker. She was an extremely strong woman, as you said in the beginning.